0: Good to see you this evening, and let me just say uh, at the outset, this is my last time to get to preach to you in this conference, and I have appreciated your faithfulness very much. I've appreciated your kindness. Uh, You have been so gracious to us, Pastor and Mrs. Keeley, and the staff have just been so kind, and our accommodations have been wonderful and comfortable uh, we, have, we started eating when we arrived, and we have eaten every 30 minutes since we've been here, I feel like anyway, uh, but all wonderfully prepared and just kindly served and just been a real, real pleasure to be here. To be honest with you, I'm not real familiar with South Florida. Uh, this is one of the first times that we've been, we've been to Florida, but not all the way down here. And we just find it wonderful. Uh, The people are so kind and gracious. Uh, I I guess there's somewhere somebody who's mean, but we haven't met them uh, in all our our doings here. And it has been a real joy to be here. And we're very grateful for the opportunity to get to meet you. And and again, thank you for your faithfulness. And again, I say to you, I hope you appreciate the church you have. Not everybody has one. And uh, guard it and protect it. Appreciate it, serve in it, and love one another. That's the mark that will tell our our community that we're Christians when they see that we love one another. And so we have certainly felt loved here and we've certainly enjoyed very much seeing your love of one another. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. You say, Philippians 2, that doesn't sound like a missions passage to me. But I assure you, it is a missions passage, in my mind, and it describes to us the greatest missionary that has ever lived. He is the first missionary and the greatest missionary. He is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived in a place that was incredibly wonderful, and yet he saw a need in another place. He saw us and our need. And he gladly left where he was and came and served to meet our need. He was and is a missionary. Notice with me, Philippians chapter 2, beginning reading in verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that Ye, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray and we'll make our sermon. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to be together. I thank you for Pastor and his family. I thank you for the wonderful staff at this church and the hearts to serve that I see. Lord, I thank you for this congregation who have so faithfully come and listened to Brother Hill and I preach and have been so gracious in their acceptance of us. And Now, Lord, we come to this very important moment in the life of this church, but in our own lives as individuals, where we will choose how we move forward in faith, loving you and loving those who need to hear of you. So I pray tonight that we would see our example in our Savior and help us to purpose in our hearts to follow it. I ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I, me, mine. I think that all too accurately describes the culture that we live in. I think we have become a very self-oriented culture. Let me illustrate that. We have a word that defines it. We call it selfie. We are the selfie generation. We sometimes think that what we're doing is so important that we have to snap a picture of it so we can share it with the world. I'll never forget when I swore off selfies. We were eating in an Italian restaurant in Georgetown, downtown in D.C., and they served me my spaghetti and meatballs. And I was so impressed, Pastor, with my spaghetti and the size of the meatball that I took a picture of it. And I put it out on the Internet. And it dawned on me at that moment that as much as I was impressed with that spaghetti and that meatball, no one else in the world was impressed with my spaghetti and meatballs. And I thought, what am I doing? If, if that's the message I'm sending... I don't know if that's worth sending. We look for churches that serve us. A number of years ago, I heard for the first time a term. It was a seeker church. And when I heard it, I was naive. I didn't know what it was. And I thought, boy, that's an awesome church, a seeker church. That means that they're going out and seeking uh, those who are lost and trying to see them saved. And someone explained to me, no, that's not what a seeker church is. A seeker church is anything that you want, they'll cater to your whims and and come here and we'll provide what you want. And and what I want to ask our generation is, where did the sense of serving others, when did it get replaced by serving self? Even an American president had to admonish us one time, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I think we have to come in our time and we have to kind of challenge ourselves and ask ourselves, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask not what your spouse can do for you. Ask not what someone else can do for you, but instead have the disposition, what can I do for someone else? As I look at this world, what can I do to change a heart that can change a life, that can change a world? If you look at verse 4, it's exactly the sentiment that the Lord is saying to us, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What the admonition is, is this. Stop being self-oriented. Lift up your eyes and look out on the harvest fields of this world and see that they are white already unto harvest. See the need that is so obvious to be seen and yet we are so small in our thinking sometimes and so oriented to ourselves that we don't see the world. Jesus was never self-oriented. He was always others-oriented. And I want you to know that when he came to earth and met our needs, he had to deal with some issues, if you will, in his existence that I think today he calls upon his children, you and I, to deal with those same issues in our life. And that's what I want to spend a few moments on tonight. I want to talk about how did Jesus deal with his decision and the issues that surrounded that when he saw our need and came and met our need and what then must we deal with in our life if we are going to look on this world and see their need and become others focused and meet that need. Let me give you three of them tonight. Number one, Jesus had to deal with issues of his own comfort as you and I must deal with issues of our own comfort. Look again at verse 6. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let me explain what I mean. I'm sure that in this church you are theologically straight. And if I said to you tonight, Jesus is God you would amen that scriptural truth. Jesus is as much God as the Father. He is as much God as the Holy Spirit. And Jesus inhabited heaven and had fellowship with the Father and the Spirit and was every bit as deserving of the worship in heaven and the glory in heaven and the peace and the righteousness in heaven as the Father and the Spirit. And yet Jesus made a decision. Jesus made a decision to leave what was his and deservedly his and come to a place where he was going to live in a place that he did not deserve to be treated as he was treated. I want you to think for a moment. Though he was equal to the Father and as wonderful as heaven was, he gave up the fellowship with the, Spirit, with the Godhead. He gave up the righteousness of heaven. And then I want you to contrast that with what he received on earth. He left the throne and he was born in a manger. Sometimes we make a manger far more attractive than it ever was in reality. The manger was very simply a stall for animals maybe even a cave where animals were kept. It was unsanitary. It, it smelled. It was just the place where animals were, not God. And yet he made a decision and was willing to become uncomfortable because we had a need. I want to contrast for a moment the river of life with the muddy Jordan. The beauty of heaven and that crystal river as it runs through and and the tree of life, it's going to be a beautiful thing that we're going to see someday. My wife and I have had the privilege of being in the Holy Land and for many of you, maybe you have been able to go there as well. And the image that I have of that beautiful Jordan River flowing out of Galilee and flowing down past Jericho was not exactly the picture uh, of reality when you get there. The truth is is that the Jordan in many places is a mud hole. And Jesus was baptized in the mud hole for you and I. He identified with sinners like you and I. All I'm saying is, is that He could have chosen to stay in that place. He could have chosen to stay surrounded in a comfortable place, but he was motivated by our need to make himself uncomfortable for our sake. I think of the streets of gold, and I contrast them with the dusty road of Judea. I think of the worship of angels, and I contrast that with the hatred of the crowd that stood outside of Pilate's judgment hall and screamed at the top of their voices, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! His blood be upon us and our children! The hatred seeped through their voices. I think of the contrast of the fellowship of His Father and the Spirit. And yet come to this place and not only be Not received by his own, but to be rejected by his own. To be despised by his own. To be betrayed by one whom he had invested three years in. To be denied by all of his disciples. All I'm trying for us to see is is that Jesus had to make a decision that he had to leave the place of comfort and had to come to a place where he forsook comfort because we had a need. And I would challenge you tonight that as we sit here in the United States of America and as we are surrounded by the luxury of the lives that we have, and my friend, we do understand that comparatively we are incredibly rich. And if we don't feel like we have a great deal in physical blessing, we are blessed beyond compare by the grace of God and spiritual blessing. And sometimes if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we're going to have to make decisions for the need of others to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. To allow ourselves, to cause ourselves to be willing to sacrifice. We have the the phrase, the mind of Christ... And it's a beautiful phrase, and we repeat that phrase, and and it is a lovely thing as it falls off of our tongues, but I wonder how many times we actually get down into our heart and our soul what it means to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was to come to this earth, be rejected by His own, be crucified, sacrifice His life, and deserve none of it. He was without sin. They tried to convince him of sin, but he was sinless. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if you and I are going to have the attitude of Christ, the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, then there are going to be times where we have to say, look at the need of this world. Yes, I would like to have this. I would like to go there. But look at the need of this world. And I have to deal with issues of my own comfort. Secondly, Jesus had to deal with issues of his own desires, just as we must deal with. Look at verse 7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That is so pregnant with meaning. He humbled himself. I don't know how much capacity our generation has for that anymore. To humble ourselves. To set aside our reputation to set aside his position, his status, and not just set it aside, but set it aside with the purpose of becoming a servant. I sometimes think that we have the notion that Jesus could only come and die on the cross. That somehow God the Father is a little bit more God than God the Son, and God the Father ordered God the Son to come and die on the cross, and I want you to know nothing Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, at any moment, at any time, Jesus could have called out to his Father and a legion of angels would have been sent and delivered him. At any moment, he could have assumed all of the power of his Godhead and he could have ascended back to heaven. At any time, he could have been the God that he is and was. But he purposely set aside his desires because we had a need. I think of that time in the garden when he looked up into the heavens. There he was kneeling and praying and looking into the cup of our sin. And he says to his father, oh, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. How horrible it was for the one who had known no sin to become our sin. And I think of my life, and and I think it's a good exercise sometimes to see ourselves not as religious, not as saintly, but to remember what we truly are. We are sinners saved by grace. I preach, I'm in church almost seven days a week. And I preach and people come up to me and they say, Oh, it was a fine message, Pastor. Oh, you know, this and that and the other. And by the time they're done talking to me, I think, Well, I must really be something. And then I remember who I am. And I remember what I am. And I remember that what I am today is only by the grace of God. And if it were not for the grace of God, I would be destitute I I might have money, I might be poor, but I would be lost in my sin. All because Jesus made a decision. And he said, though I am God, I will make myself a servant. My friend, God has the right to say to us. God has the right to expect us to make decisions about humbling ourselves in our lives. We have the American dream. And by the way, I love the American dream, and I've lived the American dream. But sometimes we forget that we are Christians. God has the right to say to us, your life is my life. We must remember we are bought and paid for. His blood redeemed us. We are not our own And God has the right to direct us and our resources. God has the right to ask us to humble ourselves, to put ourselves second, just as Jesus did. If we are to have the mind of Christ, if we are to have the heart of Christ, we must face decisions about our desires and say, God, I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to set it aside. I'm willing to do without. I would say to you third that he dealt with issues of his own resources and you and I must deal the same. You say, how did Jesus deal with resources? Well, look at verse eight. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus took the most precious thing he had and he gave it, his life. It's not enough to just say he gave his life. He gave his dignity. As they stripped him and beat him, as they put him upon that cross, he gave everything he had. He even gave his fellowship with the Father when the Father had to turn his back on him. And he was forsaken on the cross. You and I are in this room tonight. You and I are saved tonight. You and I are enjoying the grace of God tonight. Not because we earned it. Not because we're worth it. But because Jesus gave everything for us. And we come to a moment like this. And God looks down on us and He says, I have the right to ask you to make a decision about the comfort of your life. I have the right to ask you to make a decision about the direction, the trajectory of your life. I have the right to ask you to make a decision about all the resources in your life. And our response can only be, I want to have the mind of Christ who gave it all. The Bible tells us a wonderful story, a parable, and that is one of my favorites. We know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. I've kind of renamed it. <laughs> the Edwards version calls it the parable of our generation (laughs) I'll just rehearse it for you very quickly you know that there was a Jewish man who was beaten by robbers they took everything he had and left him near death along the side of the road in a ditch and the Lord tells us that three men came down that road the first man that came down that road was a priest A man of God, no doubt perhaps going to Jerusalem to fulfill his course, his time in the temple, serving the Lord. And as he hurries down that road, the Bible tells us that he noticed the bleeding, dying man in the ditch. And before he even got to him, the priest of God crosses over to the other side and hurries by the man, paying him no attention. There's a second man that comes down that road. The Bible tells us the second man down that road is a Levite. A Levite of the tribe of Levi is charged to teach the people of Israel the things of God. He is a teacher. He is a man of the book. He knows the law. And if any man... With alongside the priest ought to know what God says how to treat someone who is hurting how to reach out to someone who needs help if any man would know that it would be the Levite the Bible tells us that the Levite came over to that man and looked down at that man and no doubt his heart was moved by the condition of that man oh I can just see him in my mind I, I wish somebody would help him Help! I wish somebody would help him I don't have time to help him. I don't have resources to help, but I wish... I guess nobody will help him. And the Bible says, after looking on the man, he simply walked on. A third man comes down the road. He is a Samaritan. He is the least likely of the three to minister to a dying, bleeding Jew. (laughs) If the Jew would have been standing upright, he might have looked at that Samaritan and called him a dog. He might have sneered at him, maybe mocked him, maybe ran away from him because they detested Samaritans. But I love the story the Lord tells us, the parable... The man comes, the Samaritan comes and sees the dying, bleeding man in the ditch and he gets down off of his donkey and takes his own resources and binds up the wounds of the man, gives the man to eat and to drink, brings him up out of the ditch and puts him on his own donkey and takes him to the inn and provides for his stay at the inn. And at the end of that parable, the Lord asked us a very simple question, who was this guy's neighbor? Who cared about this man? May I say to you that our generation is a generation of priests and Levites? We are a generation of people who know that something's bad in our world and something's wrong in our world, and we wish that somebody would do something about it in our world, but what we need in our churches are some Samaritans who will get down off their donkeys... And dig in their pockets and take out of their time and stop and help a bleeding, dying world. God help us. It could be us that are rushing past people who need the Lord. And we've got to stop. And we've got to look on the things of others. We've got to say, with the mind of Christ, I will reach down. I'll change my direction. I won't worry about my comfort. I'll give of my resources that this man can be helped. 1904, there was a man named William Borden. (laughs) Many of you may know this story, great story. We've forgotten it now, but the Borden Dairy Company was a huge company in the Chicago area in the early 1900s. You remember Elsie the Cow. (laughs) And William Borden was heir to the dairy uh, fortune, the dairy business. And uh, his parents, boy, they were grooming him to take the business. He was going to be a CEO and a man of great power. They decided that For his graduation from high school, they wanted to broaden him and make him even more of a businessman, and so they were going to send him on a worldwide tour. Oh, he was chaperoned and watched over, but on this worldwide tour, something happened to him that they did not think would happen to him. His eyes were opened, and they affected his heart. And he came home from that tour of the world and he said to his parents i don't i don't want the business i want to be a missionary i want to reach the world for christ oh his father said "Uh, honey he'll get over it (laughs) he'll outgrow it just a phase you know he just saw some things he'll get over it they sent him to yale university He went to Yale University, and while he was at Yale University, he became an evangelist on the campus of Yale University. Built a rescue mission in the city where Yale is, and literally uh, many of the college students that he impacted were being saved. Many in the city were being saved. He was a journaler. He would write things down, and they found an early Bible, and in this Bible it said this, say no to self. And yes to Jesus every time. (laughs) Well, that would be a wonderful slogan for all of us. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. As he was there at Yale, God burdened his heart for a specific group of people, the Kanzu people, K-A-N-S-U, the Kanzu people who lived in northern China. Now the oddity was, though they lived in northern China, they were Arabic speaking. And so when he graduated from Yale University, he went to his parents and, boy, they were just distraught. He's going to be a missionary. He's leaving all that we've built. But, but he said, yes, I'm going to. And he went off to Cairo, Egypt. And in Cairo, Egypt, he was going to learn Arabic so that he could go reach the Kanzu people in China. 30 days after he arrived in Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis. In the early 1900s, there wasn't an understanding, there wasn't an answer for it, and in less than two months, he died. Oh, what a waste. What a waste. He could have had such a life. What a waste. They found another Bible. And in his Bible, nearing his death, he had written this. No reserves. No retreat. No regrets. No reserves. No retreat no regrets you know the beautiful thing of his life though it was shortened less than what we would have hoped for for our children he lived his life giving everything to the lord and he had no regrets No reserves, no. He wasn't concerned about the fortune that he left behind. No retreat, no. He wasn't going to be dissuaded from giving his life in missionary service. No regrets, no. He was not regretting that he had contracted that disease. He was willing to give it all, to give everything for the Lord. What we have tonight is a moment to say no reserves. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not retreating from what God has been doing in my heart because I refuse to meet my Savior regretting what I could have done but did not. There's an old song. By and by when I look on His face Beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, By and by when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more, More, so much more, More of my life than I e'er gave before. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. We'll all meet our Lord. And no one who meets him will say, I wish I'd have held back. Wish I'd have been more comfortable. (laughs) I wish I wouldn't have surrendered my life to the Lord. (laughs) Man, I gave too much. No, no. No, no. Every single one of us will say, I wish. We can be like William Borden, not let that opportunity pass. And we can say, I will have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ that looks on the things of others and gives. Instead of looking on my own life and my own wants and my own needs and holding back. I'll wish. Father, as we come to you now in this very solemn moment, I pray that you would meet with us, be with us, speak to us. Lord, every single one of us, if we were asked, would say, I want to have the mind of Christ. But the mind of Christ is a giving mind, a sacrificing mind, a a serving mind. It's not a self-oriented mind. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us and shake us tonight, because it is our very nature to want our own way, to care about our own things. As a matter of fact, we are sinners because we went our own way. But Lord, tonight, by the help and power of your Holy Spirit, help us to make decisions That are imitations of the mind of Christ. Help us to see this world and not be the one who turns away, but be the one who turns to them and loves them and is willing to be uncomfortable to reach them. Help us to give as we've never given. Lord, you may want to change the direction of our life. There may be some in this room tonight that you would call into your service to go to a mission field. May they sense the convicting of thy Holy Spirit on their heart and the leading. Lord, every single one of us, even as Jesus gave everything, We must give, we must give so that when we meet you, we have no reserves, we have not retreated from hearing your spirit and answering, and we have lived a life that does not regret what we have given and what we've done. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.